You're listening to Red Nation Online. Saturday, April 7th. It's Red Nation's own Armin Badakian, and I'm Ian Clark, and we're back from watching TFC simply not show up in a 2-1 loss. To make matters worse, it is to the Montreal Impact to give them their first MLS win and give the Reds their worst start since 2007. Two goals on the counter expose a continually struggling back line, but to be fair, perhaps save for Milos Kosic, the team is not delivering anywhere on the pitch. We go over the result, analyze the poor start to the season, and what Aaron Winter and company might need to do in order to prepare for a result next week against Chivas USA. All in the next 40 minutes on East Side Stand Up. let them know that we are back from Hoops on uh, Queen Street West, you went know. Hoops. Yeah, we went to Hoops, and uh, we discovered midweek when we couldn't get into the football factory that uh, apparently no one goes to Hoops, <laughs> pretty much ever, and uh, we could sit anywhere we want and turn any TV to all the channels that we feel like, and uh, we did that again today, uh, Arun Badaki and myself, and we witnessed a 2-1 defeat to the Montreal Impact, and that really... This was the game, I think, that kind of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say panic button, but I think this was the result that I think a lot of Toronto supporters, if they were circled a date at the beginning of the season, it's like this was the game we probably didn't want to lose. Um, if Even if with three losses to start the season off, if we came away, even with a draw in Montreal, then I think there'd be sort of like maybe some silver lining amongst the, start, the poor start to the year. But now that it's um, Andrew Wenger uh, scores the, uh, the winner, and that is all she wrote, and... Of all the teams that uh, we would lose to or give their first MLS victory, it's the Montreal Impact, and it's uh, not a good feeling, Armin. Yeah, no, it's it definitely stings uh, because it is Montreal that we did lose to, and we just gave them their first MLS win. Uh, I think that I agree with you in, uh, when you say that when we're going to look back at the season, if things don't go as well as we think, this will probably be the game that kind of kickstarts our whole panic mode. Um, at the same time, you have to look at it as Toronto FC is coming off of a really important Champions League game that they ended up losing, and Montreal was playing against the one team that I think they really wanted to defeat. Uh, I don't think Toronto played terribly, but at the same time, there's still a lot of work to be done, and there's still some issues that need to be addressed, especially if we're losing to expansion teams like Montreal. Right, and let's kind of just touch on that, the week that was. Um to sort of set up you know, what we thought about this game going into it and maybe what uh, our expectations were for uh, a result for Toronto because we knew it was going to be a challenge on Toronto's side traveling to Torreon, Mexico to take on Santos Laguna. But you know, we did have a bit of luck on our side that Montreal also had a midweek game um, playing at altitude, yep. going to the West Coast Wednesday night. Um, they had a tough loss. 
to uh, Real Salt Lake. So both teams were kind of coming into it. But of course, Montreal's coming into it with the home field advantage. It's MLS, you know, it's, it's, it's just tougher on the road, uh, no matter how good your team is to get a result. Um, so that's kind of the backstory. And so coming into this game, Armin, I, what were you thinking then in terms well, of Toronto's it, chances? It was definitely a winnable game. It wasn't, there wasn't uh, insurmountable odds that Toronto FC had to face against Montreal like they did against Santos. So I think that when we come into a, a game against Montreal Impact, Aaron Winter and his team expect to win it. And coming up against an expansion side, you know, there's that whole um, feeling of, you know, we need to perform, we can't disappoint, this is an expansion team we're playing against. And credit to Montreal, they did come up big and when they needed to. Um in terms of Toronto FC's play, I don't think that they really got going. They were kind of flat, and it just it never really clicked for Toronto. There were certain times where they held possession, but uh, just the possession stat alone says everything. 61% Montreal, 39% Toronto. I think that if Toronto wanted to really kind of make a statement uh, by beating Montreal, they had to start with controlling the game, and they just never did. Yeah, that seems to be... Um, I've heard... I think it was on the soccer show. Bobby Arushi made a comment saying, uh, especially when we went to Santos Laguna, is this team going to start being proactive or are they just going to be reactive? And that's that was the way that he described them over the start of the season. They look very reactive uh, instead of a team that's taking a lot of initiative yep. and trying to control the play. And I think that's, you know, they've sort of, there's been games this year where they've started, I mean, obviously against Los Angeles, they came out, you know, shot out of a cannon and made a statement within the first 20 minutes. And we haven't really seen that, um, at least in league play. I find, like, since they've they've looked good in the Champions League, but in these league games, especially against Columbus, they looked very sleepy. Against San Jose, they didn't seem to come out with a lot of energy. And then today, I think they maybe were fortunate again, and I've said this, I said this last week against Columbus too, that they were playing a team that was, you know, they were okay with just playing possession football and working the buildup and not necessarily taking Toronto, you know, really hard. And um, in that first half... You know, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, and we sort of saw, you know, Plata and Covermans are two guys that I think really need to get going. Um, Plata had two goals midweek, which was really encouraging to see. Uh, Covermans, at least to start the game, was still a question mark of what he could deliver. Um, and, you know, getting into the first half, uh, we didn't see a lot of stuff going on, at least in Toronto's favor. Um, and and as, you, as they've settled into that first half, we both noted, it was like, wow, that's just, it's really all Montreal, at least in terms of possession. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on that first half? And the first half was, like we said, it was mostly Montreal playing. I think that there's a lot of uh, issues with just players not playing the same kind of or in the same kind of form as they were last year. I mean, we mentioned Joao Plata and Danny Kuberman's. Um Plata's first touch is eluding him throughout the first. It was eluding him throughout the first half, and Danny Kuberman's, I mean, he wasn't getting any supply. We saw a little bit more in the second half from Danny Kuberman's, but in the first half. It was almost like Toronto FC kind of expected to um, score first and then build from there. And then when they didn't score first, everything kind of fell apart for them. It kind of goes back to being reactive or proactive. Uh, this is a team that um, really needs to get a nice kick in the butt because they're really not performing the way they should be. Yeah, and let's let's get into this this goal quick because I don't know if we what we can sort of extrapolate or what we can analyze from... Uh, the goal that Montreal scored off the uh, sort of off the counter, and it was off this. Uh, you know, my notes was that it was kind of a weird free kick that we had that just turned into a counter that caught everyone off guard. And it seems to be this is 
this is this sort of started happening with frequency yeah where we're getting caught too many men upfield and not enough men back and, and teams seem to be exposing what everyone knows is at least outside of the flanks we have our our middle of the field is not very quick this all comes down to off the ball movement and it's a very similar goal to the one that Toronto conceded first against Santos um it was Julian de Guzman in possession who passed it over to uh, Terry Dunfield in this match. And Terry Dunfield uh, just didn't react quick enough to it. And then all of a sudden, what should have been a simple clearance or a simple uh, pass movement ended up being a great chance for Montreal. Uh, same thing happened in Santos uh, in Mexico. Uh, Richard Eckersley, it was a simple throw-in. And if players were um, kind of understanding where they were supposed to be, the off-the-ball movement would have given Eckersley an easy, safe throw-in. But at the same time, what happens is they all found themselves marked, didn't move into open positions, and found themselves caught. Uh, Santos immediately got the ball to their feet off of a series of headers and passed it over. Hercules Gomez is going to capitalize on that. So the same thing happened today. Ubi Parapovic um, found himself in an open position. And basically, I mean, at that point, it's an easy goal. So we go into the end of the half. one no Montreal. And I'm trying to think um, what Toronto was probably thinking they needed to do at that point. Um, we've made comments before that definitely when Danny Kuvermans is on the pitch, there is an over-reliance on the long ball. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of creativity um, moving in the attack. It just seems they work They work looking for to throw that ball in uh, instead of, like we saw in the first half against Santos, some really nice carpet football. Yep. Um, a lot of give and go, a lot of work in triangles. Um, and we didn't see that so much in this first half. So we're going into the second half, and within the first six minutes – we see a double substitution. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Winter made his changes, and I think that some of them were good. I like the introduction of Luis Silva just because it's Luis Silva. And when he comes on, that midfield starts clicking a little bit better. Um, a lot of Toronto FC's long ball is due to the fact that there's not a lot of midfield build-up play. And when you have players like Silva coming on, he's got the ability to find his man or or move into proper positions. This is something that Terry Dunfield and especially Julian de Guzman have struggled with. Uh, it, it was evident in the first half, and uh, it continued into the second half a little bit. Yeah, Silva's. Um, how, how am I trying? I'm trying to think of how I'm phrasing this. Uh, like he doesn't. He hasn't yet quite been the player who delivers like that killer ball. But the stats support that he's like very tidy, and it's like he distributes. You know, he, he passes yep. it around, whether it's a short pass or an easy pass or whatever. But you know that when he gets the ball. He seems to kind of know where it needs to go next. He's developed properly as a footballer. You can tell that a lot of what he's learned from his college days, he's applying to Toronto FC now. Um, I don't know how much Terry Dunfield or Julian de Guzman um, are translating from their previous experience, but it's very obvious, especially from a very good UC Santa Barbara side, that uh, Luis Silva has got that uh, understanding of what a midfielder in his position should have. I don't know if Terry Dunfield or Julian de Guzman have that same mindset. They, they're not. The mistakes they make come from just not thinking. It seems like they've got the technical skill required, right? But they're just not taking advantage of of their positioning. Hmm. There's not a lot of organization. Yeah, we'll get. Actually, that's a point that we talked about on the way back, and I think yep. it's something we should touch on on the end in terms of like. Um, you know, what this team is looking like at this point. But let's just, you know, let's wrap up this second half because yeah. we kind of, everyone knows how it goes. And I think one, it's almost interesting that this has happened before um, where um, we see a red card yeah. in Toronto, goes down 10 men, and they actually kind of started looking better once they were down to 10 men than they were with 11. 
Yeah. Uh, and we saw a play with, with Logan Emery, uh, 1v, once again, you know, you get a, this position where I was talking about on the break where you t- all of a sudden you're like, there's only two men back, too many bodies forward or, or whatever, you, however you want to like criticize this or break this down or be, you know, analyze the situation. It seems to be happening quite a bit. We have Logan Emery, you know, last man back taking on Sen and the Assi. And unfortunately on the replay, it kind of did look like he got a foot in on the no, ball. He got, he got the ball. It was all ball. He got the ball and uh, last man back. He gets a red card. And uh, not a lot of sympathy from the ref. And then from that point on, um, I, you know, we like I said, we look like actually Toronto looked a little bit better. It's almost like now their backs are really up against the wall and they have to find a way to do something. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're down to 10 men, the, the panic sets in. So do you get a kick of adrenaline that, okay, um, I can't be lazy because they have one man, extra man on us. We really got to come together and, and find a way to really push forward. And that's what we saw. But once again... Uh, Toronto gets caught with their pants down and we see Andrew Wenger um, slot in the 2-0 goal. And who's at fault there? I mean, I don't want to single players out, but when you have Ty Harden running at what seems like full speed and it's not quite enough, um, in the end of the day, your center defenders need to be just as fast as your strikers. I know that he's a little bit of a bigger guy, but uh, Ty Harden needs to be able to clear that ball. And there was a point where the ball was right in front of him and it would have been a safe clearance. Yeah, it would have resulted in a corner, but it would have been the smart thing to do. Instead, he does this little flick back, which really didn't help, and Andrew Wenger is going to capitalize on that chance when it's given to him. I think it's worth noting on that play to it. Once again, because we're just talking about Logan Emery being, you know, sort of like alone in the wilderness, you have Ty Harden as the only man back. And you could see on that break that was like, where, where is the support? Everyone's again caught up field. And maybe if that gap of maybe, you know, five to 10 yards had been closed down by, um, by uh, Ashton Morgan or another defender or Julian de Guzman, that backflip might have been cleaned up by someone. Yeah, and but there was nobody there. It looked like Ashton Morgan was uh, making a run back to defend, but by that point it was too little too late. I think that uh, Toronto FC might have been pushing forward. And it's, again, it's, it's not... We saw Ashton Morgan running back, and it did look like he was going to get the ball at that point, but you can't really blame Ashton Morgan or Ty Harden or anything. It's why was that play allowed to even happen in the first place? We have to look at were Toronto FC attacking or were Toronto FC in possession at that point, giving the ball away needlessly? Or um, you can't, I don't blame specific players when stuff like this breaks down. So, it, I mean, it is tough when you're going up against quick strikers like Andrew Wenger or Sana Niasi. Um, you just have to kind of prevent those positions from being open in the first place. And I think with Toronto FC attacking, they got caught again. That's right. And, we, and of course, we should know at that point we were down to 10 men. Yep. So if you're pushing bodies forward to try to try to close the scoring gap, that's sort of the gamble you're going to take, right? Is you're going to leave not enough guys at the back. And when you have a player like uh, Ty Harden back there who doesn't have a lot of pace... It's a risk. You it's a burned. risk, right? And we so we took that gamble, we took that risk, and it didn't pay off. It actually we got punished pretty badly. Um, but then to wrap this game up, sort of in that last that last gasp, finally we see we see Reggie Lamb come on um, down the stretch, and finally this sort of breakthrough. I think a lot of us are waiting for is Danny Kuverman. Kuverman's uh, gets on the score sheet, and you know, knock on wood. We've kind of been, I've sort of been, you know, thinking, hoping, fingers crossed that all he needs is just that one goal and he'll start getting in form and, and they'll just start coming for him. Yeah, this isn't Fernando Torres we're dealing with. Danny Kuverman's when he starts scoring, he'll actually keep scoring. Um, again, 
two goals in four games now for the entire team. Um, it's good that Kuverman's got on the board and it gave Toronto a bit of hope near the end, but they need to be more clinical with their finishing. There was a lot of chances that Kuverman's didn't put away for, I don't know how much of that was Montreal's getting lucky or just good defending on their part, but um, once Danny Kuverman, I've never had an issue with Danny Kuverman's. Once he starts scoring, he'll be fine. Yeah, because he had, I mean, let's be sort of fair. I mean, he isn't getting tons of service. Um, but he is he is getting some chances, and we saw in the first half he had that really nice header that just went straight into right into uh, Donovan Ricketts. Unfortunate there. Um, he had that nice chance um, in the second half as well, where he put the ball over goal, um, had a bit of space to get a shot off, and then finally we see him head one in, which I yep. think is that's the kind of goal we're used to seeing from him. When you when you're playing a four three three, I mean it's not a very complicated position to be the center forward. You have one very simple job to do, which is uh, once you have the supply route, you just finish him. Danny Kuvermans is a good finisher. We've seen it all throughout his career at Toronto FC and even before. So it all comes down to the wingers need to be uh, giving a consistent supply to Danny Kuvermans, and eventually he'll put him away. If the wingers are cutting in and trying for themselves, obviously goals will result from there eventually as well. But it's, it's all about decision making at this point. Yeah, you know what's an interesting parallel that just like dawned on me was um, if you've been following Olivier Ocean uh, yep. and his season with Gruther uh, Firth in the German second division and you watch the majority of his goals are just sort of like he's running on the play and the winger just slots it in and he just runs onto it and finishes it off or he's hovering around that 18-yard box and just cleaning up the garbage, putting away the ball. He's getting the service that he needs and that's, I think, you can draw two parallels in terms of players who are, you know, six foot one, six foot two. Um, not the most, you know, athletic looking guys, but they're, they're, you know, pacey at open, at open field. Um, and they're good finishers. They just need the service. And you have a guy like Ocean who's getting incredible service and you have someone like Kuvermans who really isn't. And that's sort of maybe what you can look at and say, what is this team doing that gives this guy what he needs to finish goals? And why isn't Danny Kuvermans getting that as well? I think that Danny Kuvermans, um, he's not getting enough supply just because of the fact that a, our wingbacks aren't pushing up anymore. Which is a nest, which is something that's uh, necessary if you're getting scored on this many times. So um, with Ashton Morgan, Richard Eckersley kind of staying back, and then Doniel Henry coming on for Eckersley, he kind of pushed forward near the end. Um, it's kind of a two. It's like a, a double-edged sword. Um, you push forward and give supply, but at the same time, when you push forward, you get caught at the back and get burned. So Danny Kuhermans, I mean, when he's given supply, he can put him away. I think that. Uh, Ocean, he's got a little bit more uh, he's got a, a more solid midfield behind him that can kind of close that gap which Toronto doesn't have at all and that's the difference between the two The game ends anyways, 2-1 to one. Um, yeah. They didn't have enough gas in the tank to, to pull something in the, the last few minutes and you know, one thing I, I think I wanted to, uh, as we exit this game, uh, look at the week ahead of us um, you made an interesting point there at the beginning, Armin, that I think is worth discussing because you said they still have a lot of work to do. And I find that kind of interesting that um, if that is the observation, you know, what does that say about the team and its preparation and where it is at, at the fourth game into a season? Where, and they've played how many games now? They've played eight total. In this, and we're looking at it saying, wow, there's, there's still a lot of work to do. I think that the players themselves have enough quality that we don't need to really be replacing too many of them. I like Logan Emery. Um, it was an unfortunate red card, but I do like the way he's been playing. I think Ty Harden's time is 
coming up at Toronto FC, and we still do need that one competent center back. But in terms of quality on the field, the players aren't terrible. This is probably the strongest Toronto FC lineup we've ever fielded. It's They're not smart enough. And I don't know how much of it comes down to Aaron Winter not uh, properly teaching them, or how much of it is just they are not learning, but... The fundamentals of a 4-3-3, passing on the ground, uh, maintaining possession, supply to the center forward, or um, just kind of moving as a unit in the midfield, these basic fundamentals of this formation are not being met. So if Toronto FC wants to do anything for, to prepare for this next game, I'd recommend they sit down and start playing FIFA 12. Because <laughs> it needs to happen. They need to learn. They need to learn by watching what... Uh, what their position is. Don't you have a bit of reputation with FIFA? I feel like I've uh, seen some uh, I've learned, RPB posts that I've, have. Uh... I've learned more about four, the four three three playing FIFA twelve than I have by watching Toronto FC. And if Toronto FC is an indication of how this system is being played, then it's just wrong. It's not. It's not working properly. It's not about. It's not all FIFA. They should probably sit down and watch Barcelona or Ajax or Holland. Just the, because that midfield triangle that moves together as one unit, it's almost like they need that rope attached to each other so they don't stray too far from each other because that midfield three is the most crucial part of this system and it's non-existent for Toronto FC. We have a back line and we have a forward line, but that midfield is just gone. Terry Dunfield, Julian de Guzman, Luis Silva, I mean... Well, that's other thing I want to touch on too is something we talked about uh, coming back from the game. And, uh, you know, the areas of the field that are clear problems and, we're, you know, every, obviously everyone's looking at uh, our group of defenders, the center backs are really taking a lot of heat. You know, here on the podcast last week and you're saying this, you're echoing the same thing now where it's just like, uh, you know, Steve's comment last game was or Tim's was that we have a forward line and a back line and nothing in between. Yep. It's almost like there's two teams. Um, going into the season, and I think for for the last probably the first the first eight games of this year, this they haven't taken a lot of heat. But you know, everyone's so confident about this group of attackers we have, yet they've only managed to string together two goals, and both um, of them were goals that came at the end of the games when they were already losing by more than one. Good point. Seattle three um, nothing, and then oh sorry, a two nothing, and then they scored, which Seattle equalized or scored one more. Like 30 seconds later, and then right. today when we were already 2-0 down. Yeah, and you can look at those... Kind of complacency on their part, or just pushing forward, yeah, trying to get you the can, equalizers. You can, you can qualify those those goals that we scored, the goal against Montreal and the, and the goal against Seattle, where it was sort of like the game was pretty much, looked like it was finished at that point, and you could have said something about lazy defending. Um, but I want to get into this where it's like it's something to me that I'm I'm sort of noticing where it's like, you know, that was one of the big encouraging parts for me. It was like, well, at least finally we've got like, you know, good yeah. wing play. We've got a good target forward. We've got it, you know, with Louis Silva, that was an encouraging sign to say, okay, or even Ryan Johnson, we have like that attacking midfielder that lies behind him. Um, but for some reason, they're just not clicking. It's not coming together. And I'm wondering, what does that say? Is it because we don't have a midfielder to sort of add that another layer of support for them? Or should we be expecting more from these four group of players that are up at the top? Well, we have three very good forwards in our top forward line. Um, but the midfield is almost like the, it's the most important part of the field because without, like, just watch Barcelona play their 4 3 3. How much of the goals scored come from uh, Alexis Sanchez making his own run, or Pedro making his own run, or David Villa before he went down making his own run? A lot of it comes down to Xavi and Iniesta. Passing into open spaces or creating, being creative, 
and them uh, putting them away, putting chances away. Um, obviously, when you have a talent like Lionel Messi, it's a little bit of an extreme circumstance. But um, Toronto FC, like you can't expect the three forwards to do everything themselves and then have the midfield kind of wander around aimlessly. Even on the on the first um, Montreal goal, uh, Terry Dunfield, Julian de Guzman, they were caught ball watching. You need to be sharp and you need to be smart. A lot of the problems that Toronto FC are experiencing are not because their players aren't good enough physically or technically. It's it's just they're not thinking. They're not thinking two or three moves ahead. Mm. And maybe that's something that, again, we're going back to the point before, a lot of work to do. And, and you yeah. questioning the preparation um, in between matches. It exactly like, do these guys know exactly what they're supposed to be doing? Um, you know, do they know... Do they, know, do they know where someone's going to be without even looking? I'm just, if I ever sat down with any of these players and we started discussing a 4-3-3 formation, I just question if they would know the full extent of their job on the field. I'm sure they have an understanding of, just in terms of soccer, being professional players, they understand certain things. But I'm just wondering, like, uh, does Julian de Guzman or does Terry Dunfield know specifically what their job is supposed to be in comparison to like what other 4-3-3s around the world are doing. Mm. It seems like they're playing defensive midfielders, but at the same time, they're not really doing that very well either. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to single them out. But I mean, the midfield uh, in a 4-3-3... Just don't frame it as a joke and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the midfield in a 4-3-3 has three very specific midfielders. Yeah. You have the center defensive midfielder, you have the link-up midfielder, and you have that attacking midfielder. All right? What we have is two kind of pseudo-center defensive midfielders mm. and one out-and-out striker in Ryan Johnson or a true attacking midfielder in Luis Silva. It's, it's almost like fitting a square peg into a round hole. Right. Um, yeah, their names are fancy and they got the nice shirts on with TFC logos on them, but I don't know if this is the right kind of player to be wearing the shirt. Um, the last thing I think just in terms of like wrapping up this game, uh, and looking forward, I wanted to touch on was, you know, you pulled up, a, I think it was a, a tweet or something from DeVos, Jason DeVos that was saying how this team needs to find a way to bring in a better center back. Um, and you mentioned a few rumors swirling around of who could be available. Jose Calleja or Bakari Sumare from, uh, he used to play for Chicago. These are just names that float around. I guess you hear them on the forums and stuff like that. I don't. I mean, so let me ask you that. Like, let's say, let's say we can make one. We get we have one move in the next, you know, two months from the summer. What is that one move going to be for you? It's not Nick Garcia, and it's not Andrew Boyens. Okay, um, that was a joke. That was an April Fool's joke. We took some heat for that one. Um, Just one psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, one trade. Um, I would trade. Or acquisition. Or acquisition. Not necessarily a trade, an acquisition that, you know, we're talking about. I'm just throwing it out there. It's like, is, is DeVos right? Well, DeVos said that we should trade two or three players for one center defender. It depends on these players, but I wouldn't give away three players for one. I think that we should... Uh, there's not a lot of talent in MLS that's not being used. So we can't really trade for players like uh, uh, that are like starting center backs without giving up something huge. And now that Stefan Fry has gone down, I don't think that we really have anyone with that kind of high trade value so honestly i would be looking abroad um there has to be players that uh, aren't in very good club situations that would love a starting role i mean look at like you said greg uh, bearhalter for los angeles he came in from division two in germany and did fantastic so it's all about finding the right player for our system 
at the same time, we kind of ignored this throughout the offseason by putting Torsten Frings in the back line as a permanent solution. So I think that if we need to acquire any player, it's got to be someone that uh, knows what they're doing, uh, first and foremost. Established. It's got to be an established defender. It needs to be someone, probably designated player money, if we really want to solve this. And then it comes down to the argument of, well, we already have three designated players. Who's not pulling their weight? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, but you know what? You look at some teams like, you know, uh, Montreal signs Nelson Rivas, and he's yep. not he's not a designated player. Um, there's been, a, I'm kind of drawing a bit of a blank, but I know there's a handful of guys that you would have thought would be designated players yep. or ask big money, and they've kind of been able to bring in some players in this league at, at you know, decent salaries, but not necessarily for over $350,000. So I think it's really what it comes down to is, I mean, Toronto just has to do their homework. They have to do yep. the due diligence to find this diamond in the rough, uh, you know, a player that sort of has the right mentality, has the right approach, the right attitude, but also has the right skill set to fit into what we're looking for. And, you know, starting back when we talked about the kind of formation uh, Vinger is looking to, to employ at Toronto FC and the right players to fit into it. I mean, this we went through last year this whole crap about Nana Akora and he, he, does, he doesn't have enough good enough technique to be a CB. Well, I haven't seen a CB come in yet since he's gone that has technique has blown me out of the water that that sort of supports that argument of what we need at the back. So we're still in this position where we don't have a center back who's comfortable with the ball on his foot <laughs> and is able to distribute the ball going forward. That would allow us to release Frings forward and, and be an effective midfielder. Yeah, Frings needs to be our midfielder. And I think Logan Emery is pretty good. I'm going to rate him pretty I'm going to rate him pretty highly because from what I've seen He's technically gifted, and he, he's smart. He knows where he's supposed to be. Um, so we need a right center back that can partner him. I'm thinking it's got to be someone from the Bundesliga, or it's got to be someone from a German league who can handle it. And, I mean, Torsten Frings is a big name. If he calls up a buddy, I mean, it, it all comes down to is if we have the cap space for a designated player or a, or expensive center defender. Um, we don't right now. So we're going to have to figure out uh, what prior? What, what's more important priority at this point? Um, so to wrap this up, this episode of East Side Stand Up, we're looking forward to next weekend's game. So now Toronto has a week off to yep. prepare, to learn something, to, to pull something together. I don't have a week off. I have exams this week. <laughs> well, they can they can go on without you, Armin. I don't they know. They can. About they'll that. still be at practice every I'm day. I'm pretty sure Aaron Winter reads all my uh, pregame reports and kind of does his work based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of the the secret coach of this team. <laughs> So I'm sorry, through, guys. Through FIFA 12. Yeah. I'm playing manager mode in real life here. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have Chivas USA at home, which, you know, looking that on paper, that is a huge opportunity for a win. Um, if we're circling back to the last four or five years, and this is where the state of the club is, you got a pretty small pool of teams that are going to come into BMO Field that you can say, okay, this is a sure thing. And Chivas USA our team that's really struggled for the last three years um, ever since sort of Precky wound down his time there. Uh, they haven't been great. And Toronto's f- kind of found ways to get points against them, but not necessarily beat them enough. And here they are coming in. Uh, you know, they don't have Justin Braun anymore. They do have Nick LaBrocca. Um, they have a really good goalkeeper. So it's just like, what do you think, Armin, through this week that I think we if, need to do to, to come out with a win next weekend? Well, first, if we need a midfielder, that, I, I rate that Nick LeBrocca guy pretty good. I think we should take a look at him. Uh, he, I think he would do wonderful in a Toronto FC shirt. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, exactly. Already, have we, where have we heard this before? Uh, uh, I think a midfield of LeBrocca, Cronin, and Frings would just be kind of... Anyways, that's beyond the point. To beat Chivas USA, 
Or what, um, what do you like? What's your what's the main thing you would think through this week that Toronto's got to take care of? They they seriously need to reevaluate their midfield. Like I've been saying this whole podcast now, they need to uh, start Luis Silva because Toronto plays exponentially better with Silva on the field. Hmm. I know he's young, but he is a part and parcel of the reason Toronto has even scored. Um, they need to uh, really kind of work on their their specific roles on the team and. Just in this one week span, Aaron Winter really needs to tell them like we can't lose five in a row. So this is a must-win game. We have to take this seriously. And I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a team that lost five in a row in their opening five. So well, if I if I think of the stat right, I don't know if you told me this, but I don't think any team has lost their first four and ever made the playoffs. No. Um, and we're looking, unfortunately, eerily at like 2007. At least we put some goals in the net. But we haven't started on the right foot, that's for sure. Um, I can think of Seattle last year started with two losses and two draws. Um, Teams have definitely gotten off on a slow foot. Kansas City last year um, started with 10 games on the road. Now, they had a very home-heavy schedule down the stretch, so that probably helped them correct themselves. But, I mean, there is there sort of has been precedence of teams that have like not looked. Columbus, I think it was two years ago as well, kind of got off to a really slow start. A lot of draws, no wins, and still managed to finish near the top of the table. Um, it's not unheard of. And if we saw how Toronto played last year, I mean, they really just got to get some more results at this first half of the season yep. because last year they looked great from August on, but they were so far out of it at that point, it really didn't make it much of a difference. This is kind of yeah, eerily uh, reminiscent of last year where results weren't going our way in the first half and then the second half we kind of uh, picked things up. We kind of rode that momentum over the off season, thinking that it would just be a straight uh, start from where we ended, but it hasn't been like that at all. Uh, we really do need to uh, figure figure out what we're going to do against Chivas because the fifth loss in a row would just be devastating for this team. Yeah, that's the thing, though. When you go through that offseason like that and you had such a great finish, I mean, you always have to fight. You look at the start of any MLS season and you look at all the names that come and go from every team. No one is static, right? Like nothing stays yeah. the same. You have teams like Chicago who are now become like a dark horse. They have uh, yeah a bunch of guys there that uh, that are looking pretty decent. And that's a team where it's just like, they might do something great. They might linger. You never know. And then Toronto, you know, only had a couple moves through the offseason. And now you're just hoping that they're able to pick up. But they haven't been able to do that yet. And here we are. Uh, now we're on four games without a win. Mm-hmm. I think that we – I think the summer transfer season will be really important for Aaron Winter as well since that's the European one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Aceval, Reggie Lamb, they're decent players. But I don't know if they're the difference maker that Toronto FC really was hoping for. And Luis Silva came to us, but he was a draft pick. Right. So really, anyone could have picked him up. If it, It's not specifically Aaron Winter being uh, influential here. Yeah. You can see there's like, okay, we got a, a little bit of depth. But we didn't necessarily like exponentially increase our quality. Yeah. And I think that there's is what we're a, seeing. There's still a big problem. I mentioned it when Justin Mapp came on uh, from Montreal. Our bench is still really thin. They have a better bench than us. And what we have on our bench is a lot of TFC Academy graduates. We have a lot of kids, Aaron Mond, that kind of stuff. I mean, this isn't Arsenal Football Club. We can't rely on uh, our graduates and our young players entirely. We need that some established MLS players. Yeah. And like that's I, that's what Montreal did, right? Like they yeah. definitely brought in some. Uh, right and that now, was a telling comment when you said that. We were like, this is an expansion team. Yeah. And they have better depth than we do. Yeah. But honestly, Toronto FC would do tremendously well if we could go through another expansion draft. Uh, you, you asked me to pick uh, three players that I would keep. Um, three players you'd get rid of too. Three players that I'd get rid of as well. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's a, 
That's the kind of mentality we need, though, where we just get rid of everyone. No. At the same time, we do need depth. And we're wasting a lot of cap space on players that um, that could be, like, for example, a $350,000 cap space used on a designated <laughs> player that I won't name that could probably go towards two very solid MLS players. Yeah, and then we could sign another DP. Yeah, and then we could sign another DP. So this will be this will be an interesting week to see the yeah. uh, fallout from this game. Um, you never know, because when we do this podcast, it's literally... You know, we're within a half an hour of the results, so we never know exactly how yep. how much people are losing their minds, and I'm sure they are. I can't imagine anyone's happy after this, uh, let alone the team or the players. So um, I, I'm pretty we positive. We lost to Montreal. Yeah. That's just, I don't know. That's it kind of it stings. It's a know? tough pill to swallow, no doubt. And some of those guys that probably have been through, uh, you know, the, the Canadian championships going against them probably aren't too stoked on that. There's mm-hmm. not too many of them left, but there are some guys that know this rivalry, and I'm sure they're pissed about it. Mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to uh, Chivas USA next Saturday, uh, hoping for a result, praying for a result. Uh, I don't know. I might put up a little Buddha statue somewhere, a little shrine, leave them oranges every day. I don't know, something like that. we got to come up with some kind of way to get a result. So uh, finishing this guy off, we got... Armin Badakian signing off. Uh, you stay classy, Toronto. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. It's Anchorman 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well done. And uh, you got Ian Clark, Sparky on the uh, left signing off, and we will catch you next time for Eastside Stand Up is the only TFC specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. So if you're watching the game at home or even through the week, come up with something, reach out to us on Twitter, hashtag ESSU, or at ClarkRNO, or at Red Nation Online. Email us at HaveYourSay at RedNationOnline.ca and help direct the discussion. Get your opinion across of what happened on the pitch today. Yeah.